everybody. Welcome to this week's Learning the Tropes. I'm Aaron, And I'm Clayton. And I'm your romance novel veteran. And I'm just a country virgin. <laughs> and we're your hosts. And plus, this is a very special movie episode. And we all know what movie episodes means. It means we need to bring in the big guns. And we brought in our producer, Patty. Hello. Here I am. I'm on the show. <laughs> What's up, Pat? What's up? I'm sitting... So, I mean, I'm sure your listeners know that me and Aaron are married. And uh, right now we're recording in separate rooms of our apartment for audio reasons. And I'm in the living room shirtless because it's very hot. <laughs> Whoa, and it and just I'm... got hotter. Oh, yeah. I know what, I know what your listeners want. <laughs> so, this... producer Patty is on fans only. <laughs> I wish I could put a real fan on. That's why I have to be shirtless. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm on fans only because there are no fans. Yeah, Pat, didn't you go on fans only looking to buy a fan? I did. <laughs> I thought they had some nice, strong window fans, but You're like, they, I that's check not out, what they do. I want to check out their selection of Vernados. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I'm wearing my bib jeans. Which nobody knows what those are, but there's got to be people out. I know we have a lot of Pennsylvania listeners. We have a lot of Southern listeners. So they know what bib jeans are. But they are more, I guess, well known in your parts as Mm -hmm. overalls. Yeah. Now I could see what you're wearing. Yeah. Yeah. This this podcast recording, so normally we record at 8 in the morning on a Monday. And now it's a Wednesday at 9 p.m., and things get weird, apparently, when we record at night, because Pat's just half naked, <laughs> cleans in bib jeans. It's getting very ribald. It is. And this is learning uh, learning the tropes after dark, it seems. Yeah, that's actually, we should, we should, we should do that. That should be our Patreon. We keep trying to crack yeah. that Patreon. I mean, do you want to talk about your next venture, or are you not ready to let the world know yet? Oh, no, I haven't signed up for Cameo yet, but it's coming. Let me know if Guys, there's interest. Yeah, soon you might be able to get a cameo from Clayton. If you don't know what that is, it's when you ask a celebrity to send a video message. In this case, not a celebrity. In this case, me. <laughs> but yeah, uh, if you want a birthday message, if you want me to read a section of your favorite romance novel, you know, stuff like that. If you want me to put my bib jeans on. <laughs> But you're not up there yet. No, I'm not up there yet. I got to see what the demand is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So if you're interested in, a, if you would be interested in a cameo from Clayton, let us know. And then, you know, maybe he'll join. I mean, you're definitely, I'm definitely going to buy one. So no matter what, you're getting at least one. So it'll be worth it. Yeah. I was saying, I think that there are as up to five cameos that people might buy. Yeah, yeah, I would say, because isn't it a percentage when they talk about the percentage of people that download your podcast and then what they pay for, for like, who would pay for a Patreon is a certain percentage. And then there's also <laughs> a percentage of how many people would buy your cameo from one of the co-hosts. <laughs> and it's a slim percentage, but it's one or two. Yeah, I, mean, I like how if it was, there is no yeah. consideration from Erin that she would ever do this. No, of no. course not. 
I mean, if you start making some serious dough, you know, I'll I'll show up. I start sipping around when there's cash involved. But before that, I think I'll let this be a you thing. Your price is too high. My price is just the right amount of low. <laughs> Um, yeah, so guys, get ready. Think of what you would want to pay Clayton to say to you. <laughs> <laughs> Don't think of what you want him to say. Think of what you would pay him. <laughs> yeah. Those are two different things. <laughs> <laughs> and what he says will depend on what you pay. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a pay well, that's to say a, that's situation. A big fu- yeah. That's a big future venture, but but we got something big for tonight. Yeah, because I'm going to be on deep fake at some point. <laughs> um, That's where right, you well, can make me say whatever you want against my will. <laughs> just overlay your head over old Family Matters episodes. I see that a lot. Yeah, yeah. I'll do an impersonation of Al Pacino, and then you can morph my face into his. Yeah. <laughs> I love how uh-huh. it's like on this theoretical app, all the work is the customer like <laughs> making deep fakes with me <laughs> you you just have to agree not to sue that that's what it is i just sign a waiver and then do whatever you want with my image <laughs> <laughs> so i'll be on faker soon no e just an r all right well you know, we didn't just come to talk about what people are wearing and possible business ventures. Uh we did watch a movie this week. Um, we watched The Lost Husband, uh, starring Leslie Bibb and Josh Dumel. It's on Netflix, and it's based on the book of the same name by Catherine Center. Now, Aaron, um, do you have any knowledge of this book or this author? No. Okay. No and But no. she's a romance author, correct? Um, no, I think that's more like women's fiction. Like, I don't think it's categorized as romance necessarily. Okay. So there's... there. So they didn't cut out boning. No, there. it's quite possible there was little to no boning. Okay. If anybody out there has read her, or the author, or read this book in particular, let us know if there's any boning. Mm-hmm. But from what you're saying, and I think from the, I don't know, we'll get into this movie, but from the subject matter, I don't feel like there was any boning. And if there was, it was definitely closed door. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. there's there's one scene in particular what that revolves around a closed door that could have been where the boning was. Yeah. Right. Well, no, that's too early. That would have been too early. But mm. that was a great trope. I did like that trope. So we'll, that forced so, proximity. Well, yeah. So Clayton, before we get started, what was this movie about? Oh, geez. Okay. So this movie is about Leslie Bibb, whose husband died in a car accident that her daughter was in the car with the with the father when it happened her daughter uh was injured had a has a scar on her leg and has a limp they also have she has a brother and so leslie Bibb has a son they move away from they were living with her mom for a while but then they move in with the the mom's sister so her aunt and they, she lives on a farm. Leslie Bibb is more of a city person. So she is, she's kind of out of her, out of her depth when it comes to farm work. Josh Dumal plays the guy who is the, I guess he runs the farm. 
does most mm-hmm. of the 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 grunt work and Nora Dunn Nora Dunn plays Aunt Jean yes yeah. Nora Dunn plays the aunt and she is putting Leslie Bibb to work almost immediately trying to teach her the ropes because she's saying trust them all he's not going to be here forever he he might go somewhere else so I need somebody to help me and you're going to be it and she kind of resists it but then she learns to love it her and Josh Jamal have a love-hate relationship. They, they're kind of enemies to lovers. And it ends with her, Leslie Bibb, staying. And we get the idea that her and Josh Jamal are going to eventually fuck. Because mm-hmm. they share a kiss at the end. So that's this, the movie. It. What did you get? So... You guys watched this together, obviously. And when did you watch it? Monday night. Monday, Monday night. night. So you've had time to, to for this to percolate in your mind or completely escape your brain, which I think <laughs> is more likely because it was very featherweight. Yeah. I, I wish we had done like you did and watched it today so that I might have some memory of anything that happened in this movie. Because two days has been a lot to to be able to retain this. I took copious notes just in case you guys needed your memories jogged. <laughs> now, what did we, what was your guys's reaction to this movie? What did you think? Pat, do you want to go first? Sure. Or? Uh, I'll go first. I did not like this movie. I, um, it, I, I, it's a movie that I kept thinking like, why, why this movie why is this happening? What's new here? And not even that movies have to be new, but like, I, I it's like I, I, there's just nothing to it. And okay, here, here's my big, my a couple of big critiques of this is a Leslie Bibb is supposed to be like the the city folk who like lands on the farm, but I never felt like she was particularly metropolitan. Or that the farm was particularly very farm-like. Like, Like I think, Aaron, this is something you were really picking up on, is that the farm kind of looked like just like a really up-to-date mansion. And it didn't seem like it was very difficult living. So there was like no, like the immediate sort of like fish out of water thing didn't make sense because she was like, just like a fish in like, the same in water (laughs) yeah it wasn't Uh, like son-in-law where you really get the the feeling that the weasel is uh, like out of his depth Aaron, what movie did i ask you if you've seen halfway through this when we were watching this it was obviously (laughs) son-in-law i quote the only good poly shore movie um (laughs) encino man yeah, I would. I have not seen Son-in-Law, but I would argue Encino Man is is a fantastic film as well. But yeah. I would say Son-in-Law is a Paulie Shore vehicle. Encino Man, he was a supporting character that really popped. Son-in-Law yeah, is the was... only like Paulie Shore vehicle that's good. True, true. And and you're right. It does. It's such a good fish out of water because he's such a like California city bonehead. And the farm seems like a real dirty working farm. Like in this movie, Nora Dunn just seemed like a sort of like retired rich Connecticut lady 
who lived on a farm, but not really. Yes. Right. It seemed like a hobby farm because that house was gorgeous. She had hundreds of dollars worth of milk glass, which is like, and depression glass, which is like this like kind of fancy stuff. And everything was just like too perfect. Like I did not grow up on a farm, but my grandfather owned a dairy and I spent a lot of time at the dairy. And like a working farm is like kind of not gross, but there's like things are dirty, things are well used, like things are repurposed. And I just didn't understand how this massive home in central Texas with like all of these fancy things like new stone countertops, shiny clean, um, could be supported by 30 goats, goat's milk. That's they're not making enough money. Like <laughs> the economics don't work out for this farm. Like this is insane. This was well, like a hobby farm. You would have 30 goats to produce goat's milk if you just like kind of had a lot of money and liked goats. I think they're also getting paid to not grow corn. Mm. Yeah. Subsidies. Totally. Yeah. So that's probably where most of that money co- goes for that depressed glass, which I've never heard of. I don't know what depressed glass is. Depression glass. Yeah. I'd, it's like, oh, it's, it's like all that colored glass she had. Like, that's the thing. Her entire kitchen, like, I'm sorry. I don't like to shit on people who work on movie sets. I know it's hard, but it's like whoever the art director was, was on something because everything was also like Tiffany blue, like Robin's egg blue. And the, it, everything was like just so matchy matchy that, like, there was nothing about living on that farm that seemed difficult. Like, it felt like an Airbnb that me and my friends would spend, like, $300 a night at. Yeah. Like, that, it, and I think it's meant to be that way because it's supposed to be aspirational. I don't – I don't. I think this movie was supposed to be comforting in, in – even though it did deal with tragedy, I think it was supposed to be comforting and you're supposed to think, I could be comfortable in these spaces – and it mm-hmm. wasn't meant to make you feel alienated. You weren't supposed to feel like Leslie Bibb that you didn't want to spend time in this place. You, right. they, the, the filmmakers wanted you to want to spend time in this farm, which actually, like you said, was did not seem grimy, did not seem like it stunk of manure or anything, which most farms do. Right. Like, it didn't have to be the Texas Chainsaw Massacre house, but... There needed to be something to like your central premise of she's out of place because mm-hmm. she just seemed so in place. Like it just seemed like a uh, like a like a furniture showroom in Midtown. Yes, exactly. Where I would say like a house like Practical Magic, which has like the best house in cinema, but like that house felt lived in and that like people had been existing in there for years. This house felt like they just walked in, like they just redecorated and then walked in. It felt very magazine ready. It just, I agree where it's like, the big problem with this movie is that we never get a sense of where she was and where she would like to be. Yes. And so I, it was very hard to follow because I'm like, I don't understand who she is as a person. Like, is she somebody that has lost touch of her roots? Is she somebody who wants this life does she feel like she's connected to her children like before her husband died what was her life was she happy where she was why hasn't she been able to regain that what is her blockage like no nothing so then it's really hard for me to go on a journey with her because I'm like I don't know where she is and I don't know where she wants to be so I don't know scene to scene like are we moving forward or are we moving back 
Yeah, there's no sense of that. She seemed like she was a good mom, or at least as good of a mom as she could be going through what she was going through and what her kids were going through, right? Right. They, they actually seemed to be kind of like a family, although the kids were so well behaved around her, they didn't act out at all, which I would think if your father dies, you would have one of those kids is going to be goth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you think it'd be the one named Tank? I mean, that's the only time I'm really worried about her mothering choices, that she named a son Tank. I think Tank would be, like, I think Tank would be doing wrestling moves and really hurting people. Well, the daughter did would, he, beat he would people up. He put a chair up. to his auntie's head. Yeah, it's, the kids were too, yeah, the kids were very wooden, which is, like, fine. I don't need kids to be particularly dynamic. I don't love kids in cinema anyway, but... Me neither. But I, I thought that, you know, I did feel for the young girl because of her limp and stuff, and she was taller than the average girl at that age, which is, for, you know, a lot of girls, at least I've talked to, who were taller than all the boys when they mm-hmm. were young, it is a traumatizing thing because you're just you know, you're taller than all these boys and they are all so intimidated by girls anyway that it's it's like not a good place to be. So although the principal at that school was such an asshole, well, she's not the only gawky girl we have or lanky girl that we've had in our school before. It's like, hey, let's not be an asshole here. Right. No, the daughter had an arc in that she, you know, had experienced this trauma. O'Connell or O'Connor, like the... Yeah, Josh Dumel was able to, like, teach her karate moves and she used them. And that's like, yeah, she had more of an arc, I think, than anyone else in the movie. Yeah. And I would say and I'm not not that I'm a fan of him, but not enough Josh Dumel. Mm hmm. Because this guy, I've never been a huge fan. Like I've already said, I'm not a huge fan of his, but he's a hunk. And I thought he was extremely hunky in this movie. Yeah, and I think he's aging well. He might be someone who's like aging into his best, uh, best self right well, now. Well, he's a Clooney, I think, in that case, where I think Clooney might have gone over the cliff too much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But Josh is in that because I, I looked up the ages of everybody. Because number one, this movie made me feel old <laughs> because Leslie Bibb, I thought she was like younger than me, and she is at in fact five years older than me, six years older than me. I mean, she looks fantastic. She's yeah, gorgeous. she looks great. Josh Dumas looks great. Uh, you know, Sharon Lawrence, a staple of many of failed sitcom, looked very good as, as well. Nora Dunn, Nora Dunn's almost 70. And the last time I really watched Nora Dunn a lot was on SNL in the late 80s. So the fact that she looked a lot older shouldn't have shouldn't have made me feel old but it kind of did because i was like oh i remember when she was in three kings but that was also <laughs> like 21 years ago what i i love nora dunn i feel like and again not to go back to like the the premise of this being like city girl on a farm but like nora dunn as good as she is was she just didn't read farm enough in this, like, again, she just seemed like, like too city-like to like provide that, that contrast that we're going to want with Leslie Bibb. 
you she's know, not, too not cosmopolitan. That, yeah, yeah, and it's 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 I don't know who that right person would be, but I, I and we're not that 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 person has to be you know show up looking like the Beverly Hillbillies, but once Nora Dunn is there, I'm like, oh, we're not really out in the country. We're like they, just weekending. Well, they I sh- feel like what they did to have her be like working was always just like making breads in the kitchen which is like who hasn't been making breads in the kitchen these past few months right but also it's like that that's not all there there are for farm chores like you never see her like chop like whatever chop a head off a chicken i don't think maybe <laughs> something that violent but like i don't shoveling know a chore pig that- shit. i think there needed to be a shoveling pig shit scene in this movie yes leslie bibb needed to shovel pig shit yeah yeah, it was like her just singing to the goats and stuff. It was very odd. Which, I, can we can we talk about that scene really quick? Because the Josh Dumal when he when Leslie Bibb is introduced to him, he's a grump and he's right off the bat saying, "You don't have what it takes to be a farmhand," right? And he's showing her how to milk the goats and that you have to sing to the goats, and she goes, "I'm not singing to goats," and I thought, "Why the fuck not?" Right. right. What, what's the what's the reasoning? Like, I'm not shoveling shit. I get that, but I'm not singing to goats. If someone was like, "You need to sing to goats," I'd be like, "This job is cool," because yeah. no one else wants to hear me sing. That would be the only job on a farm I'd be able to do. Yes. Right, and also like taking care of thirty goats is not a full time job either. You know. Anyway. Yeah. It, it, you're right. I mean, I think maybe they had limited budget for this. Like they couldn't but have it's... an expansive farm. I don't know. It was weird. It it did feel weirdly claustrophobic for a for a farm as well. Like there didn't seem to be a wide expanse of of area. Right. Yeah. It yeah. I think this movie I think it's, you know, Hopefully in a few weeks, we're going to talk to someone who like adapts things for a living. And then so she'll give us a little bit of insight on like sort of how the sausage is made. But it, it feels like it's it's probably very difficult to adapt something from a book. And it seems like this fell victim to either the person like knowing too much about the book and just not feeling like they needed to bring that momentum to the to the screen or the opposite where I feel like there's a there's a lot that I think I've had I read the book I would have understood but this it just seems like there's scene after scene and then people are revealing secrets but they're not really secrets there's not something we ever thought was going to happen and those secrets don't necessarily inform the character then moving forward so it's just sort of like well now it's my time to tell you that my wife had a stroke at 33 it is now just going to have to go live with her family was were they divorced at that point? They when were. The, like, the, so that's he had or, Yeah, she had been cheating on him with someone else when it happened. Right. Who is this Adonis that she was cheating on Josh Dumas with? And I know it's not all about looks, but it's 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 a lot about looks, huh? <laughs> at, le- at least in these, like, if I'm putting my mind into this film, right? Because. We see a flashback of her husband, who looked kind of like Beck Bennett from SNL in five years. 
he just oh, was Leslie like, Bibb's husband. Yeah, yeah. He yeah we just, do have to talk about that scene because that scene was biz- was bizarre. She screams at him for like five minutes, and he's just like, "All right, I gotta go, gotta go." And she's like, "Something bad's gonna happen. Something bad's gonna happen." You got what? And then she says his name, his name, his name over again. And then they're getting in the car. He's getting in the car with the daughter, and he's like. Be honest. Who do you like better, me or your mom? <laughs> it's like such a weird scene. Like yeah. because that's her flashback. So that's what she thought he was saying <laughs> to the daughter. <laughs> right. Because right. she's going back in her mind. She wouldn't know what he was actually saying. Well, it was also shot so strange because it was shot in like a POV. Like a dual POV. And then all of a sudden it just switched for no reason. Yeah. The, that whole scene was odd. We needed more of a backstory of who she was. Like, we needed one or two scenes of her and her old life. Because well, the movie starts with her just, like, leaving her mom's house, and we don't know why. And we're yeah, supposed and to think that her mother's a bitch. But then we meet her. She seems cool as hell. We know we're supposed to think that she's an asshole because she is uh, Sharon Lawrence. Right. Who plays uppity kind of ash women we find out later that leslie bibb didn't tell her husband that they were going broke and he also seems to be the one who is working like did she have a job do we ever know that and it's great if she takes care of the finances like in the sense of you know i write checks i do this i do that but like he should at least sit down with her and say all right fill me in and also we find out that the reason that she ended up leaving her mother's house is because her mother said to her, like, she had been living on her mother's couch for six months. And then her mom was like, you can't just live on our, my couch for forever. So she gets pissed and goes to live with her aunt Jean, who she has had zero relationship with. And I'm like, wow. I don't know, six months for your daughter and her two children to be living with you? Like, that is kind of a long time. Like, I get what she's saying. I would also what? be like, so what's the plan here? What, you think that's a long time after the death of her husband and a bankruptcy? You got to do, to just lay on the couch all day? Yeah, I think at six months is when, like, we need to start, you know, looking for a job or something. I don't think kick her out, but it's like, if she's doing nothing, which it seems like she has done nothing, I would say, yeah, we have to start, like, you have two kids. Like, we have to start figuring out, like, what you're doing long term. I think that's, I think six months with none of that is more than fair. I guess I don't know. I mean, that's a that's a husband we're talking about. Even if he does look like a like a a walking egg. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that one scene where we see her and her dead husband together, they are both so off putting together, and the way it's filmed is so gross, and it just makes me feel like not that bad for her because they. I mean. Not that just because they had a bad marriage, uh, it'll be good for her if he dies. But usually in that scene, you give us something to show why they loved each other, which Mm -hmm. then makes you feel bad that he is dead. But like they only show him as this bozo who he who she hates. So it really lessens any kind of emotion we're going to have for his death. Like, if anything, it just makes us ambivalent to it. Well, also, okay, this is called The Lost Husband. And we have a scene where she goes to the local feed store. Oh, this is, yeah. Buys a bunch of feed and is about to check out. 
and the young woman behind the counter says, oh, you're married, because she looked at her wedding ring. So she just, does she do do this for everybody, number one? (laughs) Because a lot of people are married. It is not a unique thing. So she says, she whatever she says, she says no. And then the the woman goes, divorced? She's like, no. And she goes, well, what happened? Or she says, he's not around or whatever. She's like, what happened? Honey, put it two and two together. The guy's dead. <laughs> but then later, well, yeah. later, also, she does not scan the big bag. I noticed this. She forgot to scan the big bag of feed. So she's not doing a good job at her job. Then we figure out that she is the daughter of Nora Dunn's boyfriend who immediately comes in. He's coming to dinner and immediately comes in with the politics, which I thought was hilarious and (laughs) inappropriate. But then the daughter's hanging out at the dinner too. And she does not ask for consent to read Leslie Bibb's palm and then puts her hand on her shoulder and says, your husband's not gone. What does that mean? Because then right after that, the husband's said to be dead. So like, what does that mean? And why is it called the lost husband? It's the dead husband. Right. We didn't lose him. He died. We know where he is. Yeah. Dead. So you unpack this scene too, Aaron, because I know you were were excited about how weird this scene is. This character is bonkers. So she's played by Horizon Guardiola, who was in The Get Down, which is like a criminally underrated show. It's fantastic if you haven't watched it. But yeah, she plays Sunshine, like the daughter of Aunt Jean's or the granddaughter of Aunt Jean's like uh, boyfriend. But yeah, it's so bizarre. And I'm like, I don't know if this per like if she's just getting poor direction or what, but it is. It's not like two humans interacting whenever they interact. It's like two people who are given different scripts and different notes for how to behave during a scene. Because the way that she's just like, yeah, oh, the wedding ring? Oh, married? Divorced? Da, 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 da. Like, Well, what's the other option? You know the right. other option. It oh, That only makes sense if this person already knows and is like purposely trying to hurt this person's feeling or like fish for information, which is like, didn't seem like what was happening. It seemed like this, per- like we're supposed to know this person is like a little bit like otherworldly or something, but it doesn't come off as that. It comes off as somebody who's like truly unhinged. And like, if I had that experience with somebody, like even now, if somebody was like, looked at my ring and was like married and I'd be like, well, yes, societally, like this is how we show that or um whatever and then they came to my house i'd be like i'm uncomfortable with you here like you are bizarre you don't act like a person and then the same thing with the with the reading the palm where it's like whatever i believe in all that stuff like psychics and everything and i'm like it's so upsetting to force that on somebody and mean and cruel and just like not ethical and it's so bizarre that then that's what it is but i feel like this movie is constantly just like setting up these scenes that they haven't worked to get us emotionally where they want us to be and then they just leave us hanging if we did emotionally get there like it just seems like a like there just isn't the follow-through or the care put into like where are we like where is the audience in this moment like it's all so strange and we're supposed to like this person but i hated her 
because she's yeah. she well, seemed like mean. A Catholic, an influencer. Like, she seemed like an influencer that they just put in this movie because she was like, I had a toxic relationship with alcohol. It's like, yeah, because alcohol is toxic. Yeah. It's well, like, and yeah. that that kind of character gets one of those scenes, and then the next time you see them, they have to redeem themselves, you know. So it's like, mm-hmm. as bad as that, uh, you know, uh, uh, hardware store scene is when she's asking, you know, about the ring and where is he and uh, is he dead? How did he die? Was he sad when he died? Like all those follow up <laughs> questions. Like, do you think he was scared on the last moment? You know, she wouldn't stop. Did they but recover could, the head? So you could do that once, but then the next time we see this person, they have to like really redeem themselves and not do that again. And the fact that the second time we see her, she basically keeps asking about the dead husband, that then becomes this is the villain of this movie. This can't mm-hmm. be the fun new friend that opens you up to new experiences. Like, oh, this is the this is the bad guy here. Yeah, right. and and then it it culminates their relationship. Their relationship culminates with uh, Loopy Girl taking Leslie Bibb to the Leslie Bibb's grandfather's old house that is, I guess, right up the block, where all the kids do Ouija board or lose their virginity. <laughs> Which I was like, this is a missed opportunity that they didn't walk in on some American Pie situation going on. Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. I was disappointed about. But yeah, yeah that would yeah, have been something. It would have been something. Because this movie doesn't have any heart to it. It doesn't feel like it was made by people. No. No. I mean, and again, it stems from this this central mistake of of her relationship, you know, her, her ex-husband only showing us such a, like, awful scene that it's impossible to give a shit about that relationship anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what did we think about the chemistry between Leslie Bibb and Josh Dumal? I didn't think there was any. No, like he was good in it. I like Leslie Bibb, but there really was, I mean, it's a terribly written character, but like overall, I just did not enjoy seeing her on screen in this. So when it was her and Josh Dumal, I was only happy that, oh, at least he's doing something. You know, he's like a guy with dirty fingernails who's like a little gruff and throwing some zingers. But I never cared that they were together in those scenes. I was just, you know, a little bit into him being there. Yeah, you know, he had a real I was trying to put my finger on he was reminding me of somebody and he had a kind of a Vince Vaughn vibe going on. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if he's always been a, I guess bargain Vince Vaughn in, in just his way that he, because Vince Vaughn has that way of throwing out like a joke or a mean thing. And it's still a little bit charming, but it's like gruff. And I felt like there was a similarity there. But it wasn't enough to really ingratiate me to that character and actually think, oh, this guy's got like a razor wit or anything like that. Right. He was really nice to look at. But yeah. And, yeah. He, and he was like the closest thing in this movie to being a little bit fun. Yeah. Like I would say him, you know, mm-hmm. Nora Dunn, because 
I just like Nora Dunn, even though I think she was like kind of miscast a little bit, but at least like she's a real vet that's fun to watch. And her boyfriend, I thought when he burst in that scene, he was fun. Like, I, I think it's like Leslie Bibb was just not <laughs> know, fun yeah. at all. Yeah, she she was she wasn't she wasn't she wasn't fun, and we didn't care about her sadness. So like, if you're not gonna be fun, and you're not gonna be sad in a way that makes me sad, then what are you doing? You got nothing going on. Yeah, mm-hmm. Aaron, what did you think of their chemistry or lack thereof? I think at least when, like, she and Josh Duhamel were in a scene together, it's like I understood what I'm supposed to be getting out of it. Like, I understood that he was a love interest for her and that he was grumpy and she was supposed to be sunshine and that, like, they would end up together. So at least in those scenes, I understood what was supposed to be happening. In a way, in other scenes, I just didn't know what was supposed to be happening. But um, I do like them together. I think they're, like, evenly matched like attractive wise and stuff and i think that josh dumel just decided he was going to take a paycheck and have a little bit of fun which i could totally appreciate and he seemed like whenever he was in the movie he felt like he was in a different movie and he did seem like he was genuinely enjoying himself (laughs) in whatever sort of scene he was in so that's just fun to watch Um, i like i liked when they hardcore made out at the cheese stand I mean, that was great. Did either of you guys watch the show Popular? No. no. It's funny that you, because you referenced that show when you were saying we're going to do this movie. And I thought that's so, it's, it's not a deep cut for me because I know pretty much every sitcom or show that has ever been on the air, at least up until maybe the mid 2000s. So I knew Popular and I knew it actually was a it was more of a cult show because it did not it had like its its fervent fans but it didn't do well really in the ratings but i'm wondering if that is a cultural touch point for for that many people i don't know it's a cultural touch point for me it's my own personal touch point but it's a it's a so leslie bibb and carly pope who is one of like the mean women like trio starred in it as like Leslie Bibb was a very popular girl and Carly Pope wore eyeliner and they're like one of their mothers one of their mother married one of the other one's fathers so then they were stepsisters and it was just about like high school but it was like campy up to 11 and it was just like fantastic and I think it was only maybe two seasons if they got that much but and it was the who was it it was the um, Ryan Murphy yeah, American Horror Story guy. Yeah. So, so one of because there's this trio of mean girls that knew know Leslie Bibb from her past life, and they come up to the cheese. Uh, they come up to the cheese stand because they go into the city to sell this this goat cheese, and they go there mm-hmm. all the time to see Josh Jamal because they call him the hot cheese guy or whatever, and. He goes to, I think he's like, I'm going to go take a squeege or something. So he goes and leaves. I'm going to go make bad water. So he leaves. And then they start asking her, are you making cheese with him? Which is the most disgusting euphemism for having sex, making cheese. Right. Because if you have a cheesy discharge, you need to call someone. Absolutely. If you take anything from this podcast, take take that. Uh, Take that. (laughs) And also, I will soon be on Cameo. Those are the two takeaways (laughs) right there. So... 
that those girls were so completely cartoonish that it was mm-hmm. you couldn't even invest in them being mean to her was like oh well, of course they're mean to her because they're atrocious awful people right and also we don't know them to be her friends that like now we are embarrassed for her but also it's like she's like i can't believe i'm doing this and it's like i don't know you're dressed cute like you're with a hot farmer and you're selling cheese at a farmer's market like that's a lot of people's dreams (laughs) like you know and it's hard when you don't get a sense of who she was before, like being overly materialistic or anything. And also one woman is wearing like a straight up like riding outfit, like horseback riding. Yes, that was so One odd. of them is in yoga. Like the three of them have not come from the same place and are not going to the same place after this where they just like <laughs> come and creepily stare at this man at the farmer's market. Like I don't like I don't understand how they would care about their opinions. And also it's like. It's hard to believe that a woman wrote this script because, like, this is somebody who has been told about women, never met one in real life, and decided to write this scene. Because just, like, the way that they act, like, nobody acts like that. And it's not even in a heightened way. Like, that was an artistic choice for them to be, like, arch or something. It's, like, this is just bizarre. Again, this is just, like, alien style. I don't understand what's happening. Because the rest of the movie is not cartoonish in the sense of it's not meant to be outlandish. So they you know it's it wasn't like a tim burton situation where it's all the denizens of of the of the suburbs are just weird painted faced stepford wives you know yeah Mm -hmm. this is just a tonal tonal shift in the middle of the movie that is like a glimpse and then it's gone i mean it gets her and josh jamal to kiss which like i love a kissing scene so i was all for it but i don't yeah it it I don't know. But so he, much like, about this movie felt strange. He devours her face in such a way. Like, say you went to the farmer's market and you went up to buy some goat cheese and the people standing behind the stand were sucking face that hard. I would say I, this is probably an unhygienic booth because if this is what they're showing us they're doing, who knows what's happening in that cheese van on the way back or the way there. You know what I mean? Totally. Roadhead. Probably. <laughs> Yeah, Roadhead, at the least. (laughs) With just Um, cheese sitting in between them. (laughs) Um, Well, also with this scene, those women who were supposed to, like, represent other people of this town were so awful. Yet the movie's premise, you know, the, the, the movie's arc for her is, like, she leaves where she used to be and she comes back home because this is the better place. It's... It's also then a weird statement because they never make this place, you know, the the school principal that we meet is awful. The kid at the school is awful. Her, like, friends from, from uh, you know, they are awful. Well, no, it but, just... Pat, they were from, okay, so they are people from the city because they drive to the city. So those women live in the city. They don't live those in the Those are city town. women coming to the Yeah, park. that's okay. Houston. Those yeah. are Houston gotcha. bitches. Okay, so then that makes sense that they are they are from the place where she came from. But but your point stands. This, this movie yeah. this movie doesn't make those two places clear in any way because like the one time we go to the city, well, like the two times are in the flashback with her husband, where you have no sense of place. It looks just like any other suburban home, and then when when later on she goes 
to talk to Sharon Lawrence, her mother, at her house, we also don't get a sense of place there. You know, we only see her in this weird sort of suburban dressing room vanity that she has, but you never feel like, oh, that's the city which is in opposition to the country. You know, Mm -hmm. like all of these places just feel the same, which is, you know, defeats the point of having a movie where someone leaves the city to start a life in the country. Yeah. Like every everyone just seems like they're kind of coming from the same phony place. There's no real division between who anyone is other than Josh Dumal, who just he seems like he is a very specific type of person. Well, can we talk about the twist at the end where Josh Dumal shaves his fucking beard? <laughs> I know. Why did he shave that beard? It's all like salt and pepper and nice. And I mean, he's still, listen, he's got a perfect face. So it's not like when he shaved it, it's less. But I was just like, dude, you, when you can grow a beard that looks cool like that, you got to keep it. Right. But he'll grow it back in a week. He's not like us. We're like me and you, you know, we cannot shave for all a quarantine and, and we'll barely have half of what he started the movie with. I have a pretty decent beard. I, I grow, I grow, I grow okay. You grow okay? I grow okay. Josh, I, Josh Dumas grown faster than you, though. Oh, that's for sure. But believe me, I grow okay. Now, <laughs> the twist here is that she actually lived with the aunt for four years of her life because her mom left her. And I love these... When she was these, a baby. When she was a baby. I yeah. love these scenes in movies where so Leslie Bibb goes to the old house where teenagers fornicate and goes to the drawers and finds a photo. And then she then cut to she storms in front of her aunt and says, what is this? Does not give her aunt any sort of indication as to what it could be or show it to her, which I love in movies where you just go up to somebody with a piece of paper in your hand. Don't show it to them and say, what is this? And then the person knows exactly what you're talking about and needs to come up with some sort of defense. That's my favorite kind of scene in a bad movie. Also, it's 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 wild to just see a picture of yourself at a place when you're a child and then immediately put together, wait a second, I was living here all those years. It's yeah. like if I found a picture of myself at my uncle's house when I was two years old, they'd be like, <laughs> oh, that must have been when they took me to visit my uncle. Yeah. Right. Picture. That was her grandfather's house. So it could be like, oh, remember when I came and stayed with my grandfather for a weekend? Yeah. It's <laughs> right. so bizarre that and that she gets so mad about it that she's like, I was happy here. It's like, okay. But you don't even remember being happy. You don't remember anything. You yeah. don't remember being here. And also it's like, so we're, so your life was bad is what we're supposed to know, like how you grew up. Because like things seem to have turned out like pretty good other than your husband being dead. But that's not anyone's fault. Yeah, that's such a weak secret. Like I can say now at this age, I would honestly not give a shit if I found out that I was raised in a different house until I was four. Yeah, yeah. Like, I just wouldn't care. Be, okay, I don't remember that. And all right, like it that it's such that's such a weak secret. And if your mom was like, "Yeah, you were just a handful." 
you're you're I needed to do some stuff for four years. I knew those would be the four years that you have no memories anyway. Like yeah. maybe the last year you start having memories, but the first three you are a potato. <laughs> so it doesn't yeah. matter where I put you. I'd be like, yeah, okay. I don't I yeah. I don't remember yeah, my that. First, it doesn't matter. The first thing I remember the first thing any memory I have is when I was maybe three or four and I remember seeing the video for uh, what is it stuck with you by Huey Lewis in the news and thinking that Huey Lewis was my dad. (laughs) That's my first ever memory. And I could have been in a cage up until that point and whatever. I you were also living with your actual father at the time. Well, he would go to work every day. So I assumed, <laughs> well, my dad goes to work and he's now on the TV because that made sense to me. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm going to say hi to my dad. He's on MTV every day. Because <laughs> my dad had the same kind of like Huey Lewis type of look to him. He was just like mm-hmm. a, you know, a handsome white guy who was in his early 30s. So I was like, ah, yeah, that tracks. <laughs> although my favorite story and this is going off but i just such a great story is i knew a girl in college who when she was a baby she used to crawl up to the tv when phil collins was on and kiss the tv because she thought he was another baby <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the cutest thing i've ever heard it, was so cute. I remember being like, oh my God, that is the cutest story I've ever heard. Did she just think like, what a talented baby. Well done, other baby. I don't know if it even was the talent. I think it was just uh, infant representation on TV. Right. Not enough. So she was very happy to see it. Yeah. Oh my God, that's so funny. Yeah, so that is a weak secret in this movie. Um, yeah. That she lived with her aunt for a little while. And her mom came back to get her. You know, like, yes, obviously we're kidding. That's not ideal. Like, parents shouldn't drop their kids off for the first four years of their lives. No. But it this it did not come across as impactful at all in this movie. Also because she, we know she had a relationship with her mother the rest of her life. Like, she crashed at her mom's place for six months recently. Like... Her mom is a pain in the ass and kind of like an uppity rich lady, but their relationship seems fine. Like, it definitely right. doesn't seem interesting or, you know, so, so tumultuous that, that you know, there's real drama there. It's just no. like sort of normal, my mom's a pain in the ass, rich lady stuff. Yeah. And also, it's like, of the things to do if you have a child that you don't, can't or are not willing to raise, like... Leaving them with your sister and your brother-in-law in a beautiful home where she'll be safe and taken care of. It's like kind of best case scenario. Like she did the right thing. Yeah, it's, she didn't leave her in a, in like a, like a, a ditch or something like, yeah. Right. If the secret had been her mom didn't feel ready to take care of this baby and put her in a ditch for four years and then came <laughs> back and got her, I would say that's a, that's a real big secret that has a lot of side effects. But I, yeah. I agree. But I will counter if you are a 
if you're a person, and I know you're a baby, if you stay in a ditch for four years, there's got to be a point where your fight mechanism kind of kicks in and you try to find a way out of that ditch. You know what I mean? Right. So that's on her. If she sits in a ditch for four years, that's on her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because you've got to have a will to live. Good morning, everyone. This is Jeffy Kennedy, and I'm here with my first cup of coffee every morning on Mondays, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. I'm an award-winning author of fantasy and romantic fantasy, and I chat with you over my first cup of coffee of the day, discussing what it's like to be a career author. I honestly share the ups and downs of this business, including my daily challenges and triumphs in getting my novels written. I give insights into the business side of being a writer, including agents, publishing, both traditional and self-publishing paths, and how much money I really make. I also give writing advice and reflect on leading a fulfilling and creative life. It's low-key, conversational. The cats sometimes put in appearances. I hope you all will join me there. Sit down and have a cup of coffee with me. I mean, there's no reason to watch this movie, correct? I mean, if you want to look at your phone and you want just like pretty people in the background anytime you look up and like nice scenery, then I'd say, yeah. Uh, I I don't think I'd give it that because they're they like Josh Jumal and Leslie Bibb are both obviously pretty people, but they're not showing them off very well as being pretty in this movie. Right. You know, like there are definitely bad movies where the prettiness of the people is put front and center where, yes, then it's, it works as just like a moving painting that you could look up at every once in a while. But it's not like this movie really ever has any like great Le- Leslie Bibb, you know, going to the, you know, the dance looking amazing scenes. It, it just doesn't really show them off. So I don't I wouldn't even give it that. It's not yeah. there's better ways to just like look at Leslie Bibb and Josh Dumal. Yeah, I, yeah, I there's like old Maxim magazines, there's old episodes <laughs> of his show Vegas. Like yes. y- you could find better ways to take their beauty in. Um yeah, it, yeah, that was the thing is like we get no shirtless Josh Dumal scenes. We get no scene where he's like working out or he's just got out of the shower or something mm-hmm. and she accidentally walks by and sees it. Like that's what you want in this kind of movie. You want to yes. see those, those abs. You want to see him shirtless because we don't have to see her um, be sexualized in any way because th- that's not what this, this movie is about sexualizing men and they didn't do a good job of it. Right. I think. And I did like though that I will say I did, even though I did not like the song, that he was singing. I did like the scene where they're dancing and he sings to her and all the rest of the sound goes away. Yeah. I did kind of like that, but that was like the only thing. And then he just walks away. He's like, thanks for that. Thanks for listening. I used, I usually just sing to goats. So it's nice to have another audience, (laughs) but I felt like that was fine, but it didn't, you know, it was a cute scene, but it, it, we needed more of those sort of scenes, especially like, when there was some tropey stuff, like when the latch on the the goat cheese fridge door was faulty and he was keeping the door open at the beginning, I was like, they're going to get caught in that. 
Like they're going to mm-hmm. get caught in there and I'm waiting for it. And then it was kind of okay. It was fine, but it wasn't as good of a scene as I wanted. I really wanted to see some fireworks in there. Right. So we, we say skip it. Keep it Not lost. even scrub it. There's nothing to scrub to. No scrub. Keep this husband lost. Don't find him. Yeah. <laughs> stay the stay lost husband. Yeah. Wow. So so a waste of two hours. Two hours is like two hundred cameos. So <laughs> I lost so much money on this movie. <laughs> that yeah, you could have been cameo cameoing the whole time yeah well do we have anything else to say about this movie i know that i want to i know we don't usually swoon on these episodes but one of my favorite i won't say guilty pleasure because i do think it's actually a a pretty good and fun movie one of my favorite rom-coms is back on amazon prime and it's a movie called What If, starring oh, yeah. Daniel Radcliffe and Zoe Kaizan, and also Adam Driver, and I'm, I, uh, what's her name? The girl that was in the new Terminator, and she was in Halt and Catch Fire. Oh, Mackenzie Davis. Mackenzie Davis. And it's it's really cute. It's one of those movies I can watch over and over again, because I would, I'm, I've, I was like, okay, the podcast is starting at 8.30, so I'll get half of this movie in before we start podcasting. So I'm going to finish it after we're done. It just really is a movie that I really like, and it soothes me. And there's like a few corny things about it and some uh, some cringy dialogue a little bit, but but most of the jokes hit, and it's uh, it's about two people who become friends and then they one of them has a relationship and then they stay friends for a while and then they do end up together because it's a rom-com but it's just cute and it's fun and it's funny and i just like it and i think it's something to to while away the hours if you haven't seen it or haven't heard of it so what if and it's available on amazon prime i actually would watch that but do you guys have any uh, any rom-coms or anything you want to shout out? I mean, obviously, Bill and Ted Face the Music. Me and Pat watched that last night. Oh, it was so great. It was like about 15 minutes into it. I really did feel like a big sense of relief, too, because that early on, you could just get a sense of whether something will be base level good or not. And yeah. I was so happy this was good because there was such a big chance it wasn't going to be. Yeah. If you're if you're fans of the original movies, you won't be disappointed. I don't think. Yeah, it's so funny, and it's uh, that whole series. It is just like a really like it's as funny as it is. It's also like very sweet. There isn't a, like a mean streak in those movies, which for like comedies can be tough sometimes. And it's like, oh, they're all like Bill and Ted are just really nice and likable. And good to each other. Like the the their like sh- character struggle in this movie is that they love each other too much, that it gets <laughs> in the way of their marriage. And then at the end, it's sort of like they have to learn to love their wives while also still loving each other. Yes, sweet. Well, what a great episode! I love doing. I love doing episodes at night because we do get a little bit randy. Um, I'm. 
falling Pat, have asleep. You removed, have you removed any other item of clothing? Me? No, but I, I had to like get up and move from our couch to a different chair because the couch was like the material was too warm oh and God. I was starting to sweat. So I've moved around, but I've kept my shorts on. Pat you- is Italian. He's like a hot blooded Italian. Like he can't. He's oh, he runs so hot like no one I've ever met. It's crazy. I'm wearing a sweatshirt. Wow, that that that's sick. But you're also aren't you? Oh, but you don't have any air conditioning on because you can't because it would ruin the yeah, recording. We're recording. Yeah, I'm staring at my window fan right now, just furious that I'm not allowed to put it on. Oh wow. So so we should we should wrap this up then. So yeah. P- Produce Batty, thank you as always is com- coming on and giving yes. us your expert cinema. I guess what would you what would you say? It would just be your expert I would say opinion my, on my the craft expert of cinema. cinema. I think my expert <laughs> cinema says it all. Okay, um, Aaron, where can they find us? So you can always email us at learningthetropespodcast at gmail.com. That is, if you want to email us, if you there's a movie that you want us to watch, uh, books you want to recommend, you just want to say hi, let us know. You can always email us, learningthetropespodcast at gmail.com. We are also on um, Twitter at Learning Tropes, Instagram at Learning the Tropes. We also have our Facebook group, the Learning the Tropes Troop. Come join us there. We have merch. I got a text message today that my brother bought a shirt, so... You know, anything can happen. Uh, so if you are interested in in stickers or T-shirts or sweatshirts or laptop covers or anything, uh, there's a li- one baby onesies. There's a link in um, in the show notes right below. All right. And so next week we are reading The Right Swipe by Alicia Rye. Um, I'm a huge Alicia Rye fan. I'm very excited. This is the first book of hers we're reading for the podcast, and I can't believe it took us this long. So if you haven't read that yet, I would say pick it up. It's the start of a series. Um, and uh, finally, Learning the Tropes is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you love at frolic.media backslash podcasts. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Pat, do you have anything to swoon about? No, I do not.